Welcome to the root of all success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs unlocked success and how their stories can help you do the same. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason has built multi-million dollar businesses that have been featured in Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur Magazine. His life's mission now is helping entrepreneurs live what he calls hashtag the exit lifestyle. Introducing TEDx speaker, mastermind leader, author, entrepreneur, cigar aficionado, motorcycle enthusiast, and host of the root of all success, the real Jason Duncan. The real Jason Duncan. Hey there, welcome to another episode of The Root of All Success. I'm the real Jason Duncan, and we have a special episode for you this week. Uh, For those of you that are frequent listeners to the show, you know that occasionally we release an episode on the show of a recording from a live webinar series that I do twice a month called the Entrepreneur Masters Series. Well, right now, today, we're releasing one of these extra episodes of the recording of the Entrepreneur Masters Series. What the Entrepreneur Master Series is, is a free bi-weekly 90-minute live webinar series that I've designed and curated exclusively for entrepreneurs to give a mini masterclass so that you can learn from some of the world's top experts as they share practical tips and knowledge in their areas of expertise and mastery. Uh, we do, do topics on anything related to entrepreneurship like taxes, credit, sales, branding, legal issues, social media, business structures, et cetera. And this episode today was one that we thought was so good that we wanted to release the audio version here on the podcast. Now, if you want to go watch the episode and see me and the guests talk about this, you can go to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash the real Jason Duncan, and just search for the playlist entrepreneur masters series. So enjoy the episode. It's a little different than normal, but enjoy the episode and I'll see you next time. Welcome to the entrepreneur master series. I am the real Jason Duncan, and I am really glad you're here. This is the first one of 2023. So I'm excited that you're here. We got a great topic for you today. We're going to be talking about the top five tax strategies that you can use as an entrepreneur to pay less tax. And if you saw the videos of the promotion leading up to this event, you know that my story includes sending the state of Tennessee about $90,000 in what I thought was legitimate sales tax that I had collected ultimately just to find out that uh, my accountant, who is not Jeff, not my guest today, but the accountant at the time made a mistake. And as of today, many years after the fact, I still don't have that money back. So we're not specifically gonna be talking about sales tax today, I don't think, but we're gonna be talking about our personal income taxes that we have to pay to the federal government and how we can make sure that we don't overpay. You know, there's all this talk about fair share. People need to pay their fair share. And usually that's from people that are jealous because they don't make enough money. But but we're going to talk about what we really mean by the fair share. The tax code, as Jeff, Jeff our, uh, our our guest today is going to tell us about this. He's, he's the one that kind of told me this before, was that our tax code, about 90% of the tax code is written for entrepreneurs like you and me to figure out how not to call what we make as regular income. And only 10% of the tax code is about income. So in today's episode of the Entrepreneur Master Series, we're going to dive into some of those strategies in that other 90% of the tax code on how we can legally and ethically and morally only pay what we actually owe and not pay a dime more. 
So if this is the first time you've ever been to an Entrepreneur Master Series, I want to tell you a little bit about what you're experiencing. So this is a free webinar, live webinar that I do every two weeks here on, uh, we do it in Zoom. And this is the first time ever we're live streaming on YouTube. So, hey, everybody on YouTube. We're also live streaming on LinkedIn, everybody on LinkedIn. But uh, we do this every two weeks. And what I'm doing here is it's a 90 minute live webinar with a guest expert on some topic of interest to entrepreneurs. And it's tactical. It's not like a podcast where I'm interviewing people and asking their stories. We're really going deep on the tactical stuff. So if you want to learn more about this, you can go to therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS and learn more about how we're going to be doing more of these all throughout 2023. I've been doing these for a little over a year now. Uh, at the end of today's episode, I'll be promoting next episode, what's going to happen on January 25th. But I want to tell you, that's also going to be financial and we're, you're not going to want to miss this. You're going to get your 2023 started off right. So welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. We are live. I'm coming to you live from my office, my home office and studio in Gallatin, Tennessee, just north of Nashville. And our guest is going to be Jeff Cheney. So let me tell you a little bit about Jeff and what we're going to be talking about with him today. He's a certified public accountant, otherwise known as CPA, if you never knew what those letters stand for. And he's also a certified fraud examiner. And he has over 20 years extensive experience in tax code navigation for a wide array of businesses and individual clients. He's uh, not your typical accountant, which is why I hired him to be mine. Uh, his continuous study of the developing tax regulations make him one of the nation's top most sought after tax consultants and advisors. He's actually taken his CPA firm and kind of split out his tax advisory firm and he'll tell you a little bit more about that today. So I want you to welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Jason. How are you today? I am doing really good, man. I'm glad that you're here. Happy New Year. We're, you know, what is it, 11 days into the new year. And uh, how long does the average person have to work in the year before they start being able to keep their money? There used to be some kind of funny joke about that, where you had to work till a certain month before you start keeping it. Oh, yeah. That? Well, uh, I'd say for a small business owner, you have to work the first six months goes to the government. And then after that, you can finally pocket some. So we're going to figure out how to how to shorten that time <laughs> today where the government doesn't get as much money. Um, I want to let everybody know who's here on Zoom. Now, if you're on, if you're doing the live stream on LinkedIn or YouTube, uh, we can't take live questions from you, but you obviously get the benefit of everything we're doing here live. But if you're in the Zoom webinar, there is a Q&A bubble at the bottom of your screen. It says Q&A. And if you have a question at any point during the webinar today, we will be able to answer that live. All you got to do is click on the Q&A bubble and uh, and that question will go through our producer, Aaron Parkins with Desperate. He's going to be he's in the background making sure everything's going smoothly. And he'll send that uh, he'll send that question over. So Jeff or I can answer that for you, Jeff, mostly <laughs> because I only what I know about taxes comes from him. So he's like my external hard drive on how to how to manage the tax situation. So, Jeff, first of all, tell me a little bit about and everybody else here, a little bit about your background, your companies, et cetera. And then we'll dive into the meat of today's topic. Well, I am obviously you've already said it. I am a CPA. And um, so I've been involved in taxes for a very long time. And anybody who's worked with a CPA is pretty familiar with kind of what I do. But um, if you give me a, uh, just a few seconds, I kind of want to build build a little bit from where I was to where I am today, because I think it helps people understand a little bit about when we say, you know, I'm a tax strategist, what that means. 
So I used to work for CPA firms uh, at, at when I first started, it obviously wasn't mine. And um, I was always trying to help business owners with their taxes um, pretty much right before the deadline. And for me, after a while, this became very frustrating um, because by the usually it was around December when I would meet with a client and say, they would say to me, hey, what do you, you know, how can you help me? How can you help me save on taxes? Well, by the time it reaches December, there's very limited uh, items that you can actually do. And I realized that and thought, geez, this is kind of frustrating for me. I mean, what am I going to tell a small business owner? Go buy some equipment, maybe another vehicle. There's not a whole lot you can do. And the problem for me was that it happened over and over again. And the firm I worked for, they actually steered me away from doing this strategy work because it didn't fit into their billing model. And so that meant year after year, technically I was correct in that I was doing my job, but I kind of felt practically useless, which kind of made me feel bad because I wasn't helping business owners stay. I mean, I was helping them stay compliant, but really not helping them save on taxes. And that's really what I like to do. So I realized that the standard CPA firm is all about turning over tax returns. And unfortunately, it doesn't have the capacity to do more. And this is not only in the company that I worked for, but in almost every single firm that I knew of. And I realized that CPAs are just too busy to truly help business owners with their real needs. So I knew something had to change. So I started working at that time um, directly with a group under Robert Kiyosaki. He's the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So his CPA developed something and I started working with them. And I learned about the big difference between tax accounting and tax strategy. So tax accounting is about debits and credits. It's linear. It looks a little like you're looking in the rearview mirror. It's all historical. Whereas tax strategy is different. It's creative and it's about looking forward and modeling. And for me, this actually got me excited because I realized this is what I had been looking for and wanting to do with clients. So instantly it became crystal clear to me how I really want to help small businesses in a whole new way. Because I saw that if we started earlier in the year and created like an ongoing process, it opened up a whole range of new choices and opportunities to save on taxes and then which ultimately frees up cash for a business owner. So I started my own CPA firm to help business owners, you know, with their taxes. Um, but I didn't really stop there. Um, eventually that kind of morphed into me creating a whole separate educational arm with the goal of going into the business community and educating them on a few key things that they could do to save on their taxes. And that educational arm turned into what I call detaxify. So with Detaxify, I can now work with pretty much any business owner with more than $100,000 in profit to help them save on taxes. It frees up their cash flow and generates a whole array of new choices for them going forward. And it involves really digging in and providing business owners with the help that they truly need. So the, the big takeaway from that story for us would be that if we're going to, as an entrepreneur, hire someone to manage our taxes, that's one thing. But if we want someone to strategize for us and to help us offset what would be a tax burden and so that we don't pay more than what we actually owe, we need to make sure we're working with a tax strategist, not just a an accountant. Right. Right. The traditional CPA firm that 
um, most people use and and what we've been taught that that's where you go to to prepare your taxes. They do a great job of preparing your tax return. That's the compliance work. Um, but they're not set up to do real strategy work. Um, so you have to search for a tax strategist. Yeah, and I, I know that from I know that from painful experience. I think one of the banes of my entrepreneurial life has been when I started my first company back in 20, uh, 2010, you know, we just went with my, at the time, my business partner's accounting firm, because that's what he'd used in the past historically. And they were terrible, absolutely terrible. They, they didn't, they weren't strategizing and they were the ones that caused me $90,000 in un, you know, overpayment of taxes to the state of Tennessee. And believe me, Tennessee ain't interested in giving 90, 90 grand back to anybody. They want us to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that we didn't know it. But any, any, anyway, they were not a tax strategist. They were they were order takers and check and checked off boxes. So I can tell everybody out there, don't do that. You need a bookkeeper and you need a good tax strategist to help you as an entrepreneur. So, well, let's um. So we titled this talk today this this episode the top five sta uh, tax strategies for you to pay less tax in 2023 and beyond. So. I know you've got a presentation that you want to go through and I'll be able to ask some questions. But again, I want to remind everybody who's in the Zoom webinar live that you can ask questions by hitting the Q&A bubble and Jeff or I will be able to help address those. So Jeff, I'll kind of turn I'll turn it over to you to kind of get into the meat of stuff and I'll be asking questions as we as we get into it. Sure. Thanks, Jason. So um, Jason just said the five tax secrets, but I call my presentation three secrets. But inside of it, there's actually five, um, but there's three main secrets. So today I want to introduce these. Now, these really are not secrets. They've been widely available and are actually very simplistic to accomplish once you understand what you're trying to actually accomplish and that you need to change your approach. So I call them secrets because most tax repairs don't bring these thoughts up to their clients. And it's not like anyone wants to really invest the time in reading the tax code. So we have secret one, which is changing your tax bracket, secret two, which is shifting your income, and then secret three is maximize deductions. And inside of that, like I said, I'll tell you what the other two are. So let's start with changing your tax bracket. Now, the reason this is so important is because we are taxed on a graduated system. That means that as you earn more money, the higher the percentage of tax you pay, for example, if you're a single individual, the first about 10,000 of your taxable income is taxed at 10%, okay? Then the next about 32,000 of your income is then taxed at 12%. And then after that, it's the next 47,000 is taxed at 22% and so forth until we get to the highest tax bracket of 37%, which that starts when you're a single person, that starts at about $540,000 that's when you've reached the 37% tax bracket. And if you're married, that's at $648,000. So this is actually what's kind of called the marriage penalty. I'm sure people have heard of that before. There's a marriage penalty. Well, you would think that if a single person gets taxed at the highest rate of 37%, once their income reaches about 540, then if it's two people, a married couple, you'd reach that high tax bracket when you had double that or $1,080,000. But instead, married couple reaches that, tops, that top tax bracket at $648,000. So why is this important? No, 
well, if we can change our tax rates, we spend less money in taxes and that money can either be used on investments or staying in our pockets. So we hear this pretty much every election cycle, right? How much the average taxpayer hates corporate America because they pay nothing in taxes and we all foot the bill. The reality is that small business owners are the ones who are footing the bill as a percentage. Well, why is this? Because we have been trained that cash is king, um, but it's really not true. So if I have say $300,000 in pre-tax cash on my balance sheet, or I have $300,000 in real estate on my balance sheet, uh, how much do I really have in assets? So if we're talking about the real estate, well, then I have $300,000, that's pretty clear. But if we're talking about cash, then I actually have a lot less because the government owns a portion of that in the taxes that, that are owed. So this simple thought kind of tells us something. It tells us that our tax system is actually a consumption tax system, meaning we are taxed on the money that we earn and then use for ourselves to live. So we're consuming it. That's what we pay tax on. However, if I convert that cash into say another type of asset, and that provides a tax benefit, then I'm no longer consuming, I am investing, which increases my net worth. And I could possibly do it with 100% of my earnings and I will not have to worry about a tax bill. So the first step in doing this is truly understanding what type of taxpayers there are. So Robert Kiyosaki, I told you I've, I've worked with a group with him. Uh, he created a diagram to explain all this. And there are four types of taxpayers. There's employees, self-employed, uh, big business or corporations, and then investors. And then the, the amount that they pay is drastically different. And understanding this helps kind of change the way you approach money to achieve, achieve what we're trying to accomplish today, which is how you reduce your taxes. So some people think that being an employee is the best type of taxpayer that they pay the least amount of tax. The truth is there are so many withholdings coming out of paychecks they, that they ignore most of it because they're not having to manage their taxes. They get a net check and they live their lives according to the net. Well, the truth is they are the second highest paying taxpayer. And some people think self-employed people pay the least amount of tax because they get all the write-offs. Well, the truth is, yes, they do get the write-offs, but these write-offs mean that they have to spend their money, which reduces their cash flow that they get to keep. And then whatever is left is not only subject to income tax, but they also pay an additional tax called self-employment tax. And for anyone who doesn't know what this is, it's basically Social Security and Medicare. As an employee, you have this withheld from your paycheck, but as a small business owner, you pay this amount twice. And these taxes, um, so add these taxes and small business owners pay the most tax of all the four taxpayer types. Now, a lot of people think that um, big business or corporations pay the least amount um, because really that's all we hear about with big corporations. You know, they make these ridiculous profits and then they pay no taxes whatsoever. Again, that's what we hear anytime politicians get on TV, right? Well, the corporate tax rate is low, 
but they're not the lowest type of taxpayer. Uh, investors are actually the lowest taxpayers. And let me let me show um, let me show this right here. So here are the tax rates for the four kinds of taxpayers and what they have to deal with. The highest the highest tax rates. So most of us, I think, fall on the left side of this this chart here, um, employee and self-employed. But you see, those are the highest paying. And you see on the right side, this is a side that we kind of all want to be in. So when you're looking at this, you have to ask, which quadrant do you really want to be in? And by looking at this, I would say, at least for me, I would want to be in the investor quadrant, right? Because it's zero to 15% tax. And then the next question is, well, how do we get there? Uh, we get there by doing what these taxpayers do, meaning if you want to pay the big business rate, 21%, you have to act like a big business. If you want to pay the investor rate, you have to act like an investor. It sounds easy, right? Um, the truth is it's really not that hard if you change your approach. And let me give you an example. I have a client who was running a small business and he was profiting about $2 million a year. Now you can imagine the amount of taxes that are being paid on that. Um, he was also located in Massachusetts, so there's a state tax on top of it. Now they had a ton of money left in the bank because the profits were so high and they were actually pretty shrewd. So we exchanged their cash for rental property. We turned that we turned them into an investor. So in 2020, the result was he paid 5% as an effective tax rate. And last year in or year before in 2021, he paid only 8% as an effective tax rate. And the even better part was that was that his property appreciated. Obviously, we've had the real estate market go through the roof, right? So his balance sheet actually rose while he was paying less tax. Okay, great. He paid less tax, but now he has all his money tied up. And I know that's what some of you are thinking, um, but that's actually incorrect. We refinanced um, this past year, his real estate, and we pulled out all of his equity and put the money back into his bank accounts. So now he actually has all his cash back in the bank and he didn't have to pay all those steep taxes that he was used to. And we turned him into an investor and not just a small business owner. Now, um, it is important to understand that this is not something that you can typically do overnight, right? This requires you to put in some time, some energy, good thought process, mapping this out, and, and then you'll be able to achieve this. I got some uh, some questions for you, Jeff. This is very interesting, and I am familiar with Robert Kiyosaki's quadrants, cash flow quadrant. That's the book he talks about this in. Um, why Why do you think that it is? that there's so much um, uh, this so much of this hollering and yelling from the general public over, you know, like Trump was famous for saying several years ago when he was running for president the first time he was like, hey, I didn't pay any taxes and that makes me smart. And, and, and everybody's angry. Oh, he didn't pay any taxes. And your client, you just gave as an example, paid an effective tax rate of 5% last year, 8% the year before. And while you've got the second secretary who works for that business is paying 37% or probably not, but paying, paying a much higher rate. Why, why is there so much anger around this when it is the way the tax code is written? Nobody's cheating anybody. These aren't loopholes. This is the way it was done. Why, why is that? Well, like I said, our tax system is a consumption tax system, right? 
So the money that most of us are bringing in, we're living off of, and we're not creating any excess for ourselves to be able to do something different. So most people live paycheck to paycheck. So when you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't really create an opportunity for yourself to invest or to create additional businesses, something to that effect where you can actually take advantage of the tax code. So, you know, I spoke in the beginning of this, part of it is understanding what the tax code is, right? So the tax code creates these types of taxpayers and all of us are allowed to become one of these taxpayers, sometimes two, but become one of these taxpayers if we change our habits. And part of that is stop living above your means, right? And don't be angry with those that don't. Stop living above your means and start planning for your future so that you could, like Donald Trump, obviously he's an investor, right? He pays zero to 15% tax. Tax code is written and he took advantage of it. Nothing absolutely wrong with it. Um, there's nothing unpatriotic about it. Um, I teach all my clients to do this. It does take time. It does take an investment in yourself, but it's getting out of the whole thought process of here's my money. I need to spend it because the truth is most people don't have savings. They just live on credit. Our, you, you know, the U S we, we teach everybody, you need to live on credit and um, credit is actually, to me, it's a bad thing. I mean, yes, you need it to be able to buy a car or yes, you need it to buy a house. But honestly, when you're living on credit, um, you're actually doing the the opposite of saving. You're 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 creating you're putting yourself in a bad position. And when people are in bad position, what do they do? They point fingers and they yell at those who are in good positions. Yeah, it's uh, jealousy and anger. Um, if, you know, they're they're mad at their own selves because they are not in a position where they can do what other people are doing. We have a question that came in uh, and. and be interesting to hear what you have to say about this because I know it's going to be different for everybody. But Chris asks, what what's the estimate or what's an estimate to hire a tax strategist? And I would assume that is as opposed uh, opposed to uh, hiring a CPA, for example. Uh, it's it's different. Um, it's obviously a lot more expensive, um, and I've seen tax strategists charge anywhere from ten thousand dollars to a couple hundred thousand dollars. It really, it really depends on your situation and what they could actually do for you. Uh, a lot of them charge a percentage. So if they're able to save you, let's say they, they kind of look at your situation, they say, all right, uh, we could save you $40,000 by making some adjustments. So we'll charge you maybe a third of it. So it's, it's not an easy question to answer because first of all, there's not a ton of tax strategists out there. They're hard to find. The good ones anyways are hard to find. Um, but the way they charge is different. Um, what, what I usually say to that is, if you figure out that you've been overpaying $40,000 a year, right? And you realize that that's happened for the last five years in a row, you might wanna look at what does it cost you to not have a tax strategist? It basically costs you 40,000 a year times five years, 200 grand to not have somebody working this method for you. It's actually the better way to look at it. Well, I know that um, I know that that from experience that anytime you spend money, um, you should on, on things like this, it, you should save or make at least as much as you're spending. Obviously, if you did that, then it's your it's your your wash, but probably three times that amount is generally speaking the way I look at it. So if you invest a dollar into something as a way to 
recapture or not spend something, you should get $3 back in my, in my opinion. So I think that's probably a good way to look at it. Um, what we got another question came in, then we'll let you carry on with your, uh, with your, uh, presentation. Nancy asked, what, what if you don't want to invest in real estate? Is that, is that the only place you can get these investor rates of zero to 15%? Not at all. There's a, there's a lot of vehicles out there that you can invest in. Um, uh, you just have to be able to search. Real estate is the easiest one to explain because most people get it. Um, but there's, there's a lot of different areas. You they have ATM funds out there. They have, um, there's, there's all this green energy um, type of vehicles out there. Um, there's oil and gas. So there's a lot of things that you can invest in um, to be able to get these deductions that actually make sense. It's just, you have to use what works for you. I mean, today I'm going to talk a lot about real estate only because like I said, for, for presentation purposes, it's the easiest to talk about. Um, the others have a little bit of um, complexities to them. So to try to explain it, um, you know, in a small little presentation, it, it's, it's a little difficult but there's plenty of vehicles out there to, to invest in. Yeah, I uh, I think it's a fair question, Nancy. I, I would say though, why, why wouldn't you? I, this is not a back and forth, but like real estate, if I, if I could go back and do anything different in my life, I would go back to my twenties and I would, I would invest in real estate as small as I could have afforded at the time, just buy a duplex or a self storage unit or something. Because today in my forties, I, I can look back and go, man, how much, how much I'd have. And plus the lifestyle that I want to live is more, um, I think it, it, it fits having real estate income more, more than anything else because real estate generally doesn't require any time uh, as far as how to make that money. But good question, Nancy. Good question, Chris. Thank you guys for asking. So Jeff, I'll, I'll uh, let you carry on. Okay. So the second thing we want to talk about is shifting your income. We're going to probably spend the most time on this topic today. And the reason that this is important is because you can have the exact same income and you can report that exact same income, but you can pay less tax by shifting it correctly. So why this is important, because obviously this lowers your tax bill and keeps more of your income in your own pocket, which obviously increases your cash flow. So let's talk about what this means. We discussed earlier earlier on that we have a graduated tax system, which is that, you know, the higher your taxable income, the higher your tax rate is. So if we know what the tax brackets are, we can move income around and have more income taxed at lower tax brackets. So there are two ways that we're going to discuss today of how this can be accomplished. First, in first of all, like the easiest way is transferring income around your family members and you can shift income around to other family members that don't have large incomes and you can use their tax brackets to your advantage. So I'm going to give you an example of that. I have a client who owns an HVAC company in the South. This client made about $850,000 in profits last year. His mother is aging and she lives on social security and a small pension. So she essentially pays no tax. So we made her an owner of the business and shifted around $200,000 of that income over to her. So where their client should have um, that $200,000 taxed at the 37% rate, they, we used up his mother's tax brackets and at the highest level on his mom's return, she reached 24%. 
that means that he saved well over 13% in tax. So now if you do the bare minimum, right, 13% of 200 is $26,000 of savings. So same income, we just shifted tax, we just shifted between family members to use up tax brackets and lower the tax. Now, in this case, there, there was a hurdle we had to get over here. And um, I, I get this question a lot. My client was worrying about what would happen if his mother passed. And um, because obviously she had ownership and you don't want that ownership to then go into probate. So we obviously had to have some legal protection there to protect that interest while she's alive. Um, because again, she had, she technically has ownership. So another way to shift to family members is a simple method of just paying your kids. Um, now there are specific rules around this, but if you can find a job for your kids uh, in your business and you can pay them a reasonable salary, you can use your kids tax brackets. And you also have the potential to use some tax credits on top of that, that you may not typically qualify for. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a couple examples of this. Um, I have a client who is a realtor of high-end homes. So when he lists a house, he takes pictures of families living in that house to kind of show the potential you know, of that home. So he uses his two kids, as, I'm sorry, his three kids as models for every house that he lists. He takes pictures of them, puts it on the website, and these kids are modeling a family of what it would look like to live there. And he pays his kids around $1,000 a month to do this. Now, because each of his kids are under the age of 15, when he pays them the salaries, they're not subjected to Social Security, Medicare, or unemployment taxes. So in them earning $12,000 a year each, not only are they free from payroll taxes, but also income taxes because they have no other income and the standard deduction is higher than that. So it wipes out their taxable income. Um, that means that basically the three kids shifts a total of $36,000 of income away from the client, away from his business, and it saves them a little over $13,000 in taxes. So once again, we've taken same income, just shifted it around, and we've decreased our taxes by using uh, family members' tax brackets. Now, the other thing to note here is that um, because the kids are minors, as their guardian, uh, the father is in control of the money, not the kids. So it's not like you actually have to, you know, hand your kids over $12,000 and say, good luck. Um, please don't spend it all in one place, right? <clears throat> so um, now I'm going to show you what I do in my own business using this same th thought process. So I own a few different businesses and I like to, I personally like to invest in real estate, um, but I own Detaxify, which is my strategy business. Um, I also own Edwards Ingram, which is my CPA firm. And I own EI Books, which is a bookkeeping company. So I took my CPA firm and I broke it into three different entities, three different businesses. So a few years back, um, when I was actively involved in all of these businesses, I hired my three boys, Caleb, Noah, and Luke, um, to help with scanning documents on the weekends when I worked. They were spending time with me in the office anyways, so I, I made them work. Uh, I'm a smart dad. Um, I figured out how much was a reasonable salary, and I was able to pay each of my boys $10,000 a year tax-free. 
So this saved me 15.3% self-employment tax on that $30,000. And it also sheltered all of that $30,000 income from income taxes. So, and I use this money to pay for their school. So indirectly, I deducted the cost of their tuition by shifting the income over to them. Got it all tax-free. Wow. So, so is there a way then, I guess, and I've known about the kid thing. I think you were the first person to ever tell me about it, but now it's become more familiar to me. So it's not technically ethical to say, I'm going to pay my kid 12 grand and then never give it to them or, or spend it on them, even though you're in control of the money and morally you have every, and legally you have every right to it, but there may be an ethics thing in that. So what you're saying is, Hey, you're going to spend money on your kids anyway. You're, you're going to buy them clothes. You're going to buy them food. You're going to maybe pay for tuition, whatever it happens to be. Just say, Hey, I'm going to uh, allocate 10 grand, 12 grand per kid um, and put it on the books as such. And then you set it aside an account and then you can use that money any way you see fit, but probably spending it on your kids, private school tuition or clothing or whatnot. That, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. The, the easiest way to, so that way you can kind of trace it is to actually put money in bank accounts for them and then like tuition or food or anything you want, then obviously deduct it from that bank account and pay it directly from there. Um, that way you can actually see that, okay, I'm giving my kids this money and I'm actually using it for them. Um, I know there are some practitioners out there that say you don't even need to, um, you don't even have to put it out there. You know, you're going to spend that money anyways. Um, I think it's better to set up an account and that way you can actually track that it's really going to them. They're paying, you know, they're reporting the income. They're technically earning that income. So make sure it's being used on them. Uh, we have a question specifically about this. Somebody, uh, Yana says, how do you figure out a suitable amount to pay them that will be sheltered? Sure. So um, whenever you come to a situation that's similar like this, and there's a lot of areas in the tax code where salary comes into question, um, you actually have to pay a reasonable salary. So a reasonable salary is what would I pay someone else to do this? Um, so if I was going to hire an administrative person to do this job, what would I pay them per hour? Right. Um, there's even there's even studies that you can go look up online to say, OK, I live in Tennessee. If I have somebody, uh, if I'm going to hire an administrative assistant, how much should I how much should I pay them? So you take that dollar amount and you uh, multiply that by obviously the number of hours they work and that's how you can figure it out so you, you have to almost treat them like a real employee um, you can sometimes go a little higher on the spectrum um, obviously you wouldn't want to go lower so you can go a little higher but it has to be reasonable um, that's the key for the irs and 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 they do re require you to document how you came up with the salary it's actually one of their their um, only rules about that is that it has to be documented so they almost won't argue with you as long as you document your approach. Do you have to pay quarterly payroll taxes on their salaries, asks Tracy? Well, that's the great thing in this example here. There is no taxes on them. If they're underneath the standard deduction, which I think this year is around $13,000, if you pay them under $13,000, there's no payroll taxes. There's also no income taxes. It's free and clear already. So there's nothing to worry about with, with uh, paying quarterly estimates at all. Interesting. Very interesting. And the kids have to be under 18 for all of this to work, right? Um, 17. 17. Under 17. 
under 17. All right. Well, I passed that. <laughs> so my kids are already older than that. So I could no free labor for me. <laughs> yeah. Once they reach 17, you can still use their income tax brackets. But once they reach the age of 17, now you have to have Social Security and Medicare withheld from their wages. So okay. you you that part comes back into a play, which costs you 15.3% of uh, tax on whatever you're paying them. Good. These are great questions, guys. Thanks for asking the questions. Continue to pour those in. If you're in the Zoom live, go ahead and continue to ask those questions. All right, Jeff, uh, carry on, man. You, this is good stuff. Okay. So um, one of the next ways to shift income is by making non-passive income to passive income. So first we have to understand for tax purposes, the three kinds of income. And I say for tax purposes and uh, for a specific reason. First is portfolio income. This is your interest, your dividends, and your capital gains. Now, non-passive income is the income you trade your time for, meaning you are putting in an effort here by investing your time in the business. Um, there are specific rules as to what that means, but if you're putting in substantial time, that income is non-passive. Um, income from a W-2 is non-passive, and income from your business that you work full time in is non-passive. And the third type is passive. Now, most of us think when we hear passive income, we're thinking dividends, capital gains, that's passive income. And that's absolutely correct. But for tax purposes, those are considered portfolio income. Passive income is income you earn from a business or trade that you don't put a substantial amount of time into. And then there's also real estate. Uh, income from real estate is by default passive. So even if you spend substantial time on your real estate rental, it's automatically passive. So, okay, great. Why is this important to know? Well, we touched upon this before. Um, earlier on, I talked about trading your cash for other assets, right? Well, that not only provides you the ability to possibly um, uh, get extra deductions, but gives you the opportunity to then earn more money. So when I have cash in the bank, how can I increase my cash flow? Well, I can have an interest bearing account. And uh, what would you earn today in an interest bearing account? Maybe 1% interest on it. I don't know. I think with inflation, it might've gone up a little bit, but we'll, we'll just say for today, 1% interest on it. And that is certainly not going to move the needle. Um, but if I invest in the right kind of investments, I can also earn an additional income on that investment. And let me give you an example of what I'm trying to say. I have a surging client of mine who's located in Texas. And as you can imagine, he earns substantial income. He's a surgeon. So instead of holding onto his cash, we have him invest into ATM funds. And these funds provide for a loss each, uh, the first year that he acquires it, he gets a loss because the fund is purchasing equipment and that can be written off. But in return, he gets 12% return on his money every single quarter. So essentially he's earning money, 12%, he's earning that tax-free at a larger rate than the banks are offering and he has no tax issue with it whatsoever. So now for you business owners, um, you know that you are paying 15.3% self-employment tax on your businesses that you are involved in or your non-passive income. 
Um, once your profit exceeds about $160,000, that 15.3% uh, drops to 3.8%. Now that extra tax, that self-employment tax, that adds up very quickly. Well, if I shift that income over to passive income and I stop working in my business and I become a business owner, I can, re I can remove that self-employment tax. And isn't that kind of the goal of most of us is to work on our business and not in our business? So if we actually accomplish that and we do that, that major goal, we actually achieve that, we actually save enormously on our taxes. So we get rewarded and then we get rewarded with taxes. And let me give you an example of what I mean by that. If I work in my business as a single person and I have say $100,000 in taxable profit, my federal tax is going to be about $33,000. Um, if I make this passive and I don't work in my business, but on my business, my federal tax in that same income drops from 33,000 down to 17, dollars $18,000. Now that's a pretty significant drop. So um, I think what I'll do is now I'll show you how I personally do this in my own business. So I'm gonna go back to that example of where I was paying my kids. So I told you how I used to pay my kids salaries. Well, I do have other businesses and I still do that, but in another business of mine. So two years ago, I changed my approach um, to shift additional income over. And uh, I also explained that I, I like to invest in real estate. Um, however, the losses that I get from real estate are passive. So passive rule state that you can only deduct the losses by offsetting against other passive income. Otherwise the losses, they'll get carried forward to another year. I can't use them in the current year, they get carried forward. Well, I wanna be able to deduct my real estate losses against my income because I spent cash on acquiring those properties and I wanna be able to get the deduction for what I spent. Well, again, I want to trade income for assets, but at that time I wasn't in the position to stop working in my business yet. So I took a look at my three core businesses. Now, Detaxify is tax consulting, so it requires a CPA license. <clears throat> and my CPA firm is the same. It requires a CPA license. However, my bookkeeping company, it does not. So I changed the ownership from myself over to being 100% owned by my three boys equally. Now, guess who doesn't work substantially in the bookkeeping business? It's my boys, they don't. So this becomes passive income to them. And um, again, I wanna trade my income for assets, right? So I also set up another LLC, also owned by my three boys to purchase any real estate that I might wanna buy. Um, this is an important piece to mention here because some of you might actually be thinking like about this, but my kids are minors and they can't own an LLC on their own. So I have to set up a trust for their ownership, but because I'm a guardian, I get to be the trustee. So this means that although my kids own these entities, I have full control. Now control is the key here. I don't need to own it. I just need to be able to control it. So, now, my kids have passive income from the bookkeeping company, and we wipe out the income 
because I have passive losses from the real estate purchases that I can use to offset that income. Um, I couldn't do the shifting because of my circumstances and myself. So I used my kids to actually do a double shift. And there's absolutely nothing illegal about this. That is really, really interesting. Do you also, are you involved in um, or setting up those trusts or is that a, a, somebody else who does that? That's somebody else. I'm not an attorney, um, nor would I want to be one in real life. Um, I'm not an attorney. And, and a lot of these things, when you set up, you do need, you do need uh, an attorney to set it up the right way. Otherwise you can get yourself in hot water. So I have a, I have a corporate attorney who helps me out anytime I need to do these things. So who, uh, is that something that if, they, if people reach out to you after this, sh this episode's over, you could also recommend an attorney to help them with that specific thing? Well, uh, most attorneys have to work within like a geographical area. So it um, uh, depends on where they're located. I may or may not be able to help them with the right attorney. Um, I, do, I do have an attorney friend of mine who's located in Texas that can work in at least half of the country. So, um, so possibly yes. Um, but really any good, <clears throat> excuse me, any, really any good corporate or state attorney is going to help with this. And they are, they are expensive, but when you think about how much money you're going to save by doing it, the expense far, you know, it, it doesn't even come close to what you would save. So it's well worth it. Good. So let me, uh, let's do this. If you don't mind, before we get into the, uh, the third, the third key, I want to talk about the sponsor for this episode, if I might. So we have a, we're blessed to have here on the Entrepreneur Master Series, one of our sponsors for the, for this show, the exclusive sponsor is called Story, S-T-O-R-Y-Y. And uh, the reason they are the sponsor here is because, as you know, you follow me on, all of you guys that are watching this, you follow me on social media, you know that I produce a lot of social media content. And there are a few things that make that difficult if you don't have somebody like Story in your corner, uh, coming up with the ideas, like what do I what do I post? What do I make a video about? Or or how do I edit this so that it looks cool on, on Instagram Reels or on TikTok or on YouTube Shorts? How do I edit it? And then how do I post it? Do I know when to post it or what hashtags to put in or what do I write in the caption? Story handles all of that. Ever since I found these guys, uh, I have used them for 90% of all of the social media posts that you see on any of my feeds at The Real Jason Duncan. Story is doing it. I mean, think about this. It's, you know, 30 years ago, you couldn't be in business if you didn't have a have a ad in the yellow pages. And then it was, well, now 20 years ago, you couldn't be in business without a website. Well, today, you can't be in business unless you have a strong social media presence. So I want to recommend you check out Story. If you want to have a better social media presence, if you want people to know who you are and what you do, and you want them to follow you and engage with you, go to check them out at therealjasonduncan.com slash story. That's S-T-O-R-Y-Y. So therealjasonduncan.com slash story. And what you'll get by using that affiliate link of mine is you're going to get one free edit. So you can test them out and see if you like it. You send them a video, they'll edit it out and put it up there. Plus, you get a discount on your first month of service. So go check out the check out story, therealjasonduncan.com slash story. And thanks to the guys over there. Connor is one of the founders and Devin, one of their business development guys. You guys are awesome. And uh, thank you for everything you do to make me look good online. All right, let's get back to the show. So Jeff, let's talk about trading your income for assets. Okay, so I have mentioned this a few times already. 
Um, it's kind of one of those phrases I love to use probably way too much, but uh, for me, it helps drive home a point. Um, so I want to give an example here. Now let's, let's say you manage to stop working in your business or you have other passive income, right? Cause we're talking about transferring your non-passive over to passive. So you stop working in your business and you have other passive income. Again, we want to trade our income for assets. Um, so here's the client I have that, um, they own several bakeries. Now the bakeries are passive because she doesn't spend substantial time in each one. As a whole, she does, but because all these, each, each bakery is a different LLC, each one gets to stand on its own. So she can be passive in, in all of them. Well, she had $500,000 of business income. Um, she had other income and was basically in the top tax bracket of 37% federal. Um, she does have a very expensive lifestyle, unfortunately. So she does need to consume, you know, kind of keep a good portion of her income to afford her life. Um, but I convinced her to take $100,000 of her profit and invest that profit into real estate. Um, because the banks only require about 25% down, we were able to purchase a $400,000 Airbnb real estate rental um, with only $100,000 cash. And then we leveraged the rest with a bank loan. So in that first year, she was able to take a $100,000 deduction on the property with depreciation. Now, again, because her bakery is passive, she gets to take that deduction and save $37,000 in taxes. So essentially, this investment costs her only about $63,000 because $100,000 less the savings of $37,000 in taxes. <clears throat> and her balance sheet shows she has $100,000 investment. Another way to look at this is that her balance sheet shows $100,000 of real estate and it's also an income producing property for her. So she saved money on taxes and she gets a 27% uh, return on investment on this annually. So well worth it for her to do that. This is where the magic happens for all of us as entrepreneurs when we start paying attention to this stuff. And uh, I wanna specifically speak to those that are watching this either live on, the, on Zoom or live stream on LinkedIn or YouTube. Listen, if you're in your 20s, I hope you're taking notes, man, because get started right now. Figure this crap out. By the time you're my age, Jeff's age, you're going to be having so much passive income coming in. You're not going to have to, quote, work. And, and you can have all these assets throwing off cash flow for you. And you did it the right way. And you got his, the maximum tax advantages. So I love this stuff, Jeff. And uh, I appreciate you sharing the insight. So what else you got for us? What are some other ways we can save money on taxes? I'm glad you love this because most people don't. <laughs> so it's nice to know that somebody loves taxes. I like not paying taxes. <laughs> right, right. So, all right, let's talk about how in that last example, how she got that deduction, right? Um, Cause I said it was depreciation. Um, we had to do something called a cost segregation study. Um, that had to be performed on the property. And that kind of a study gives you the ability to fully depreciate about 25 to 30% of the property value. <clears throat> in this case, the money she invested became the amount that she was able to deduct. So she no longer has $100,000 in cash because after taxes, that would have only been $63,000 left as an asset. Now she has an asset of $100,000 that's producing an awesome return on her investment and it actually has a real cash value. 
So this kind of brings me to another important piece of this that's very vital to know. And that's entity selection. Um, many people choose the wrong entities and they accidentally cost themselves way more money in taxes. Um, and they also risk the legal protection. So I want to kind of quickly talk about uh, the differences in these types of entities. So there are a few main types of entities that most of us have heard. There's a sole proprietor, an LLC, limited liability company, uh, an S corp, and a C corp, a partnership, there's trusts. <clears throat> the key here is understanding that a legal entity is not the same as a tax entity. And you have to always distinguish the difference so you don't accidentally cause problems for yourself. Now, most of these are straightforward. Uh, if I'm a sole proprietor, uh, legally, I have no protection and I file the business or rental directly onto my tax return with no separate filing. Now, uh, as a rule of thumb, I always tell everybody, you should avoid a sole proprietor as much as possible. And the reason being is because um, this way of filing causes the most IRS audits by far. Um, and the reason for that is that of all the other entities, they all file separate returns. And because they file separate returns, they report a balance sheet and an income statement. Um, so there's checks and balances. A sole proprietor reporting on your personal return does not report a balance sheet. So it's very easy to cheat on it. And there's no checks and balances there. So that's why this poses an enormous audit risk. Now, um, corporations, um, they do provide some stronger legal protection, but for tax purposes, they can either be a C corporation or an S corporation. Um, partnerships, they have different levels of protection um, for, and, and then for tax purposes, you file a partnership uh, tax return. Now, LLCs are a completely different animal. <clears throat> um, legally, they do provide some great protection. Um, but for tax purposes, they can actually be any of these other entities. So I have a chart here. And um, see, an LLC is, is simply, when I say an LLC, it's simply a legal entity. But it can be taxed as a sole proprietor, a partnership, an S corporation, or a C corporation. And depending on your tax choice, this also affects the tax rate as you can see from the chart here. And um, lastly, I wanna just reiterate on this, that a sole proprietor is rarely the best choice for tax purposes. So a sole proprietor in this case for an LLC is a single member LLC. That becomes a sole proprietor. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, each of these tax entity types has different rules for what you can do and what you cannot do. For example, if if you want to pay, if I want to pay my children and avoid payroll taxes, I cannot do this with a corporation. Um, another area is S corporations. Well, S corporations only pay social security tax and Medicare tax on the amount of salary paid to the owner and all the remaining profits avoid the 15.3% self-employment tax. And then <clears throat> corporations, they allow like a C corporation they allow certain fringe benefits to be paid to the owner employees that none of the other entities provide. 
So knowing just these tiny little things, you know, which one do I choose? Well, for me, I believe you have the potential to choose all of them if there's a good business reason for it. And this is called multi-layering entities. And it's often an overlooked tax strategy for small business owners. You remember in the beginning when I, when I showed you the four types of taxpayers and big businesses was one of them or corporations and they paid a lower tax. Well, if you act like a big business, you can lower your tax bill and keep more money in your pocket. So let me show you um, what I mean by this and what I actually do. So my business partner and I, uh, we own another bookkeeping company that is actually run by artificial intelligence. So it requires minimal work and it's completely automated. So to run this one entity, uh, this one business, we have several entities set up. We own this business as an LLC that's taxed as a partnership to provide us with good legal protection, but then it gives us the freedom to distribute profits as we see fit. And we can't do this in another type of entity without paying serious taxes. Well, we're considered non-passive, um, but we don't necessarily want to pay self-employment taxes on all the profit. So we own this main business LLC with a management company that's taxed as an S corporation. This allows us to pay ourselves kind of a low salary. It's a reasonable salary, but it's low where that's where we pay social security and Medicare tax, but we avoid paying the 15.3 self-employment tax on all the rest of the profit. We also have a corporate entity that owns all of the artificial intelligence, all the software. And we do this because in a corporation, the law allows us to sell our business when we want to and not have to pick up up to $10 million of gain. And that can only be done in a corporation, a, a C corporation. Well, again, I also wanna pay my kids and shift income, right? So I created an LLC that I own as a sole, propri sole proprietor and I, make, I pay my kids through that business because it's not incorporated. And then I charge the main business a fee for their services. So four different entities to accomplish several different strategies, but it saves me thousands and thousands of dollars in taxes. And this can only be accomplished because of the fact that we're layering these entities. Um, now, I have clients who I brought this up to before and some of them don't like this. And this is what they say. I am a simple person. I do not want to complicate my life. Well, let me ask you this. Would you rather add a little complexity and save a few hundred thousand dollars in taxes? Or do you want to be simple and you only save maybe a couple thousand dollars? See, mindset is everything. And that's very important is the mindset and the way you approach this. Yeah, I think mindset is the key to most things. Don't you agree? I mean, um, having the mindset to think through about uh, this multi multi-layer entity structure, it is confusing and it can be complex, but that's what you pay the export for, expert for. So if I pay you X number of dollars, but in return, I say Y because Y is more than X, I, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to do that. I, I have, I have a question that came in. Chris is asking this question. He says, can you change your entity once you've chosen it? So I, I imagine I'm reading between the lines here. So if you, if you if you're an LLC, but you said I'm going to be taxed as a sole proprietor, can you change that tax status once you've set it? 
you can. Um, it's not always straightforward though. There are some entities that you can transfer to another one and it's very simple and has no tax issues. And then there's other entities that if you wanna transfer away, will actually create a tax issue. Um, so you have to find the right way to do it. But generally speaking, you can, it just, the question is, is it simple to do it or is it extremely complicated to do it? Yeah, so you can, so the answer to that is yes, you can change. Uh, you need to work with a tax strategist to make sure you're you're doing it correctly. Jeff actually was the first person to help me because I own, uh, I think, six businesses. And he was the one to help me figure out how, you know, my real estate company needs to be structured this way and taxed that way. And then I've got an attorney that I work with who helps me figure out what, what legal entity I need. And then Jeff corroborates that with the tax entity. So I think you've got to have both. You can't just have a tax strategist or just an attorney because they're usually bad at the advice that they're not trained in. <laughs> so they've got to, they got to work together to get that good advice. So, so Chris, great question. I have a question though, Jeff, about uh, if you could go back to that slide about your, the lady who owned the bakeries and you told her to invest and you were doing the cost segregation study. Um, I have a question about this and this is from personal experience. My wife and I bought our first short-term rental last year. We've owned other long-term rentals in the past, but we bought a short-term rental last year. And so, you know, it's a, it's a million dollar property. We put down, I think, I, I can't remember. It's like, I think it was 15%. I, I don't remember, but let, let's just say for the sake of conversation, it was 15%. So are you saying that because I did that in 2022, you can help me with that because you're my guy to help me figure out how to do the cost segregation study where essentially that's a that's a deduction that I'm going to get on my taxes. Yeah, actually, um, you, you'll kind of like to hear this, so I'll say it. Um, so a, a cost segregation study is not performed by it's performed by an engineering firm. There's specific companies out there that do this work. And uh, depending on the cost of your property, it can either be say $500, I've seen all the way up to $7,500 to have this cost segregation study performed. Um, but it can be worth it if your property is really, really expensive. Um, now in your case, right? So you said it was, uh, how much was the property again? Uh, I think it was right at a million. You know what? I think it was 980. Yeah, it was right at a million. All right. Well, let's say it's a million dollars. And um, typically in a cost segregation study, you, it comes out to where you get a full deduction of 25% of the property value, right? So that would mean you get a deduction of, uh, around $250,000. How much did you invest in it? Uh, I mean, you, you're talking about how much cash we put in. Yep. I, I think that that's where I uh, my fa my memory is a little fuzzy. I think it was 15% is what we okay. put in. Plus, so, plus, I mean, it was 15%, but then we had a lot of cash we had to pay for closing and all the other crap. But it was, it was, I think it was close to 200 grand, 250 before we were done. All right. So you invested, we'll say roughly $200,000, but you're going to get to take a tax deduction of $250,000. So if you can get, if you, if you're, there's very few banks that allow it, but some do. If you can actually get less than 25% down, sometimes you can actually deduct more than you actually paid. And in your case here, it sounds like that could be uh, potentially, you know, for you, you have this opportunity this year. So what does that mean at the bottom line? So if let, let's say I did spend 200 and you're telling me that a $250,000 deduction, does that mean the government's going to send me a $50,000 check? Is that what that means? Uh, well, it depends on all of your other income, right? So what right, that means, but in isolation, in isolation, like if that's the only thing we're looking at, is that what that means essentially? 
it essentially means that uh, if all your if, if your income is in the highest tax bracket, 37 percent, it means that you get to deduct two hundred fifty thousand dollars off of your income. So, um, you know, refunds are people think of refunds differently. A refund is you getting back money you already paid in. You paid in too much tax, so they got to have to give you back the excess. So what I always look at is what's your total tax amount. So what that $250,000 deduction means is that you're paying tax on $250,000 less income than you should have. That's what that means. That makes sense. All right. That's good. That's good stuff. I need it. I, know I need deductions. <laughs> well, we um, so we've got about 24, 25 minutes left in our time together today. And I know you have a whole nother key that you want to cover. So I'll let you get back to it. Yeah, um, this one's actually pretty quick. It's, uh, oops, I went right past it. It's deductions. Um, here we go. Uh, the third key is deductions. And we all know what those are, right? Those are the costs of doing business. If we're a small business owner, that's that's our costs. And um, sometimes there is a line of what we can or cannot deduct. Now, how many of you out there have asked a CPA, can I deduct this or can I deduct that? And the answer is just a flat no, or they say depends. And you get some ridiculous answer that basically tells you, okay, no, I can't deduct it. Um, well, here's where I want to help you understand something. And this is understanding the tax code. So the truth is, is that the tax code tells you what to do in order to deduct the items you want to. So the key there, uh, the key though here is that you may have to change your behavior in order to deduct the items you want. And I get this question a lot, and I want to use this as an example of something that often gets answered no by CPAs, uh, but yet we actually help the client do this. So I have a client who's a child therapist, and he asked if he could deduct his pet, his dog. And my response is not typical. I often say, let's see what the code allows, instead of just giving a flat out no. And um, first off, in order for a deduction to be allowed, it has to be necessary and ordinary in the line of business. And basically what that means is there has to be a court case that allows it. Otherwise, if you deduct it, you're probably going to become the court case. So I asked um, my client a couple questions. Uh, first is, uh, can a dog obtain some certification that would help him with child therapy? And the answer is there is. So I then asked him if there are methods that he could employ in his therapy sessions that you could use the dog and that can be documented. And the answer is there is. So my client went and got the certifications necessary and then he created a therapy system by which he uses his dog in his practice and we've met all the criteria the tax code asks of us. So therefore, it allowed him to take the deduction for his pet. Um, so what did we do here, right? We adapted and we adapted to and played by the IRS rules. And so we are allowed to take those deductions. And that's what you have to understand with the tax code. You have to be willing to change your behavior so that you comply with it. Otherwise, the answer is no. But if you are willing to make changes, you can deduct it. You, you can deduct almost anything. So I'm going to give you another case, only because I like this one. It's fun for me. Um, I have a financial planner client of mine who has always wanted to travel around the U.S. in his RV and uh, just vacation constantly. 
and he asked if he could deduct his $100,000 vehicle in his business. Um, what would that mean? That would mean a $100,000 deduction for him to vacation all over the U.S. just like he wants to. Well, the IRS lists rules for being able to deduct travel expenses. And generally speaking, you have to work four hours a day to be considered a business day. So he's a financial planner. He does a lot of pad podcasts and a lot of meetings. So we set up a small area in his RV, very small, um, in his RV for him to do two hours of podcasts every day and then take client meetings for two hours a day as well. So while he's traveling, he's on the phone talking with clients. Um, or he'll take a pit stop and he'll do a podcast. Um, so he meets that four hour per day every day when he's using his RV. So what does that do? That makes his travel and the RV become a business expense. So he gets to write off his vacationing because he's willing to do the extra steps and adapt and play by the IRS rules. And again, all of this is to say that you have to understand what the IRS code actually is. And a lot of us view it as a punitive set of rules, right? We get punished, like it's, it's there to punish us, um, telling us what we can't do. But it's actually not that at all. It is in fact, and Jason alluded to this like right at the beginning of uh, today, it is in fact a rule book that tells us what we are allowed to do. Uh, the question you have to ask yourself though is, are you willing to change your behavior to meet those rules? Well, uh, traveling Tom is not me. For those that know that I love to travel in my RV, <clears throat> that is not me. <laughs> that is somebody else. And that picture is not a $100,000 RV. But <laughs> it was but, the best uh, I could do what? <laughs> it was the best one I could find at the time. That's right. It, it, it illustrates the point. Well, and, and so that's kind of the cool thing because, you know, I know that because I'm on camera all the time and I do what I do. Like my clothing purchases can be legitimately written off my haircuts. You know, when I go you know, the things that I buy my, my vehicle because I travel and it's in videos, my motorcycles are in videos that I do. There's there are legal ways and ethical ways as long as you're playing by the rules. And I think that's something cool that Jeff has been able to help me find, figure out as a tax strategist, which makes it worth the money I pay him to help me with this. Jeff, we've got a couple of questions to come in. Nancy asked this, she says, can you buy a home in another state and deduct that? And then she clarifies by saying the business conduct can the business can conduct business from anywhere. Um, like a personal home or uh, uh, an investment property? Yeah, I don't know. Nancy, would you would you pop in uh, in the question chat a question there to clarify that based on what Jeff said? Well, I guess so I guess in, in all honesty, the answer in both cases is yes. It's just what kind of deductions can you take? If it's a if it's a second home, then you know you conduct mortgage interest, possibly real estate taxes, you know things of that nature. If it's an investment property, um, then absolutely you can deduct everything that has to do with it. Yeah, that's good. All right, we've got a. Uh, she said uh, personal. That's what the that's what the question is. Not an investment, but personal property is what she's clarifying. Yes. Yeah, so um, you can you can deduct mortgage interest, um, you know, itemized deductions that you do on your return. So you got mortgage interest, real estate taxes. Um, if you turn that into there's actually some extra rules where you can actually rent it to yourself, take a business expense, but not even have to pick up the income. Um, so there there are various rules out there that you can use that second property to your advantage. Um, you can also use it as a home office if you go out there so many times. So there's definitely things you can do with it. 
We've got another question coming in, uh, uh, anonymous question. Wow, I need to learn more about this cost segregation. Do you have directions to learn more? And of course, yes, we do. So just hang on, hang tight. You're going to learn more about this in a minute. Uh, they, they go on to say, this is incredible trying to drink from a fire hydrant. Also, what will be the best legal structure for solely a real estate investment? Um, I would typically advise that real estate investments um, be in an LLC taxed as a partnership. Um, I would never put a real estate investment into a corporation, whether it's C Corp or S Corp. I would, um, it would be rare for me to ever advise to do it that way. So straightforward answer without knowing any details, I'm going to say LLC tax is a partnership. Knowing details, I might change my mind, but that's my default go-to for, uh, for real estate investments. You know, I sat, Jeff, I sat in on a, uh, I'm a member of Real Estate Investors in Asheville, which is a, an organization for all different types of real estate investors. And they do training every week or two. And we sat in on a training this past, I think it was Thursday night last week. And the, the guy on there was a CPA and an attorney. So the same guy uh, would held both those licenses. And he, he said exactly what you said. Now, one thing I would add, because I'm, I am a real estate investor who, who is interested in that question as well, is that I've got, I've got a, a, I think it's a S Corp, uh, man, I'm gonna have to figure that out, but it's in, I think in Wyoming that owns the LLC in the state of Tennessee that owns my property. So my property is set up as a partnership LLC, exactly the way you said, but the owner of that LLC is not me or my wife. It is my corporation in another, in, I chose to do it in Wyoming for tax purposes, but, uh, and protection purposes. So the Wyoming corporation, I think is an S you, you probably know this, Jeff, I can't remember how we said yeah, that. It's, um, so you, you, the property in Tennessee is owned by a Tennessee LLC as single member, and it's owned by a Wyoming LLC that's taxed as a partnership. And that's um, right. the reason for that is Wyoming has some of the best LLC laws for protection for real estate investors out there. And, uh, and it's super cheap to set up an entity out there and they provide anonymity. So if you try suing somebody who, who has a Wyoming LLC, it's almost like good luck. Um, good luck getting through. And real estate is, I know, has a lot of litigious people that go after real estate investors. Um, I would also add this when it comes to real estate, owning real estate. Never, ever own your real estate with a self-directed IRA. And the reason being is because you basically, by doing so, you totally eliminate all the tax benefits that owning real estate provides. Um, so I'm way against owning it in a self-directed IRA. Um, and I get that question asked a lot. That's why I figured I'd throw that one out. Yeah. I, and again, the guy that, that was on that training the other day, he said the same thing. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. Hey, uh, we got one more question here. And I think we'll let you after this question, Jeff, we'll let you kind of wrap yours up. And then we want to talk about what's coming up in the next webinar. But Corey asked this question. He says, I plan to grow a portfolio of real estate uh, as a partnership. Do I make my wife the partner? And he says he thinks he's set up as a sole proprietor LLC right now. Absolutely. Um, I will usually tell spouses that they should own it together. Um, in most cases, you you kind of by law actually do anyways. So you might as well for tax purposes. Um, and it gives you that extra um, risk protection, uh, audit risk protection um, as well. And uh, what I do just for, for anybody to know, and, and Jeff's fully aware, 
is that in all the businesses that I own, not not a trust or a partnership or other corporation owns it, I own 99%. My wife owns one. And that that helps us get that partnership uh, status and a K-1. That, that way the business is not the business is not taxed on my personal income uh, or there's a better way to say that, Jeff, you could probably make that sound better, but, but my wife is a 1% owner. Now, if she's substantially involved, she may have more like our, our real estate company. She has more than that, but, but 1% is all you need. I think Corey. Yeah. It doesn't have to be equal. And uh, as long as you have two or more people, it becomes a partnership. So if you add your spouse on, um, you, you only have to add them at like 1%, um, give them a little equity in it. And, and, and you now are automatically a partnership. Good deal. All right. right. Thanks for all the questions, guys. You, this is fantastic. Jeff, you want to, I'll let you kind of wrap things up on the content that you're going to share. Then we're going to talk about how to get more information from you directly. Okay. Um, well, I'll just wrap it up. So there's basically three items that I shared today, um, changing your tax brackets, shifting your income, and then maximizing your deduction. And then included inside of this, I also clear, uh, shared two other things, which is multi-layering multi your businesses. And then, of course, the one I love the most, trading your income for assets. And again, these are not really secrets, although I call them that. Um, every single business owner can implement all of these items if they have the right kind of CPA to help them. And again, this is not a tax preparer CPA, but a strategist who works with your future and not just with your history. So, um, Jason, thank you for letting me, uh, you know, share today and thank you everyone for listening. And, um, if there's any more questions we can answer them, but, um, thank you very much. Well, it has been, this has been fantastic. This is by far the best EMS we've had all year. <laughs> Just kidding. It's the first one of the year. This is really, really good, Jeff. I mean, I, I've been doing this a long time. You were well-prepared, great information, a lot of engagement. I'm watching the live streams on the other platforms, seems like we got people engaged there too. So this is this has been very good. And also I wanna give a shout out to uh, Garen Parkins, who's our producer. This is the first time we've used this company to produce. If you if you do anything like what this is, this webinars, reach out to Desk Rig, it's D-E-S-K, -D like Desk, R-I-G, like Rick, Desk Rig. Uh, Garen does a fantastic job. He's been managing all the back end of this stuff, making it look pretty. So uh, so that's, that's fantastic. So if you wanna get more information from Jeff Cheney uh, at DTaxify, you can go to d-taxify.com, d-taxify.com, and, and send Jeff a message and let him know that you saw this on the Entrepreneur Master Series live webinar with the real Jason Duncan, and he will take good, good care of you because he does take great care of me. Uh, Jeff, is there any other way that you would want people to reach out to you uh, to get more information? Well, I can, I can share a QR code I have and then, um right here. Yep. Um, there we go. So there's a QR code, everybody. So if you got your cell phones and you're watching this on your computer, if you have your cell phone, just take a screenshot real quick. If you're on your computer, you could just take a screenshot or use your cell phone and, and, and do that. That'll take you to d-taxify.com slash apply and request a tax strategy discovery tax strategy discovery session with Jeff and he can help you out. But, uh, this is this has been fantastic, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you again so much for being here. Thanks for being my tax guy. And I know you're coming in. Uh, you're going to be coming to Nashville. You're not going to come to our he's part of our mastermind, the Exeter Club, but he's not coming to our workshop next week. But you're coming to the next one and we're you and I are going to spend the day going back over all of my tax strategies and making sure I've got everything buttoned up for 2023 and beyond, because 
I got to get that cost segregation thing done from that uh, Airbnb we bought last year. I've got a few more that I want to buy this year. But uh, again, thank you for being here. Let me let me take just a couple of minutes as we finish off. Don't leave yet because I want to show you a couple of things about what's going to be coming up on the EMS on uh, January the 25th. So on January the 25th, I've got a guy coming in by the name of Darren Sayafi, who's also another uh, CPA who specializes in profit first bookkeeping. And he's going to talk about the title of that show is going to be neg from negative to positive, three simple steps to improve your cash flow. And profit, as it was, as Darren talks about, is not an event. It's a habit. Your dream is financial freedom. And what we're going to be doing in that webinar is to help make that a reality. You're going to learn three steps to permanent profitability and positive cash flow so that you can run your business more profitably, not only in 2023, but for the rest of its life. So don't miss this opportunity to, to learn some little known bookkeeping secrets that's going to help you increase your cash flow and stay profitable forever. So there's a couple of ways that you could do this. You can go to uh, go to any of my platforms. You find me at the real Jason Duncan and send me a DM that just says the word profit and I'll send you a link to register. Or you can go to the real slash EMS and you can register. Now we'll say this uh, up to this point in our, our uh, history of running these EMSs, all the registrations have gone directly through the Zoom link to get registered, but I, we're in the process of switching it over so you can register one time on my website and be automatically invited to every one of these. You don't have to come, but you're automatically invited. So here's what that does. By registering you for all of them, you get the replays of all of them. And that's what you want, because if you can't make it live, you get the replay after the fact. So don't, uh, so go ahead and mark on your calendar, January 25th, 3.30 p.m. Central time, we're gonna be doing from negative to positive, three simple steps to improve your cash flow. One other thing I want to mention, I want to ask you this question because this this relates back to specifically to what Jeff was talking about in our show today. He said that we got to change our tax bracket and we got to shift our income. What if you could figure out how to exit your business right now without exiting it? Like if you still own it, but you're not putting in the 500 hours or more a year that you're or actually putting a lot more than 500 hours a year running that business. What if you could figure out how to pull your time in the business back? What would that do for your life? Well, I could tell you for one thing, just like Jeff talked about, it's going to take your active income and move it to passive. It's going to save you 15.3% of your income, just like what Jeff talked about today on the show. Well, that happens to be what I do as a business coach every single day is I work with entrepreneurs just like you to show you how to take a step back from the daily operations of your business so that you're putting in only 10 hours a week or less. If you're doing math, that's less than 500 hours a year. That gives you the opportunity to reclassify your income, just like what Jeff said. Now, of course, there are rules around that. You need to talk to Jeff or your tax strategist to make sure you're doing it the right way. But I can help you get there. That's what I do every day. And it starts with taking a free assessment. Go to amireadytoexit.com. That's amireadytoexit.com. And there you can take a free assessment that'll share with you all of the information about what it's going to take for you to get to a place where you can exit the daily operations without giving up control or ownership of your business. It's completely free, the assessment's free, and it comes with a free strategy call with me to help you figure out how to get there. So go to amireadytoexit.com so that you can reclassify your income in 2023 and stop sending Uncle Sam more money than he's entitled to. We all just wanna pay our fair share and not a penny more. 
Well, thanks for tuning in to this live webinar with me, the real Jason Duncan. Big thanks to Jeff Cheney and the folks over at Detaxify for being our guest expert. And I'm looking forward to the next one on January 25th. We'll see you then. Well, there you have it. Another idea for you to be better as an entrepreneur, to get to success more quickly. Of course, this was an extra special edition of the Root of All Success. This was one of my live webinars, the Entrepreneur Master Series. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope you enjoyed it as much as our listeners and the people that were live in that webinar when we did that. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope it was valuable for you. If you would like to attend one of these live and in person the next time we do it, I do two of these every month and I bring in amazing guests like the one you just heard, you can go to therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS. That stands for Entrepreneur Master Series. Therealjasonduncan.com slash EMS. And you can register. These are absolutely free. They're open for anybody to come to. And I do two of these every single month. So thank you for listening today. I look forward to seeing you next time on another episode of The Root of All Success. Until then, I'm The Real Jason Duncan, and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with The Real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Follow Jason on social media at The Real Jason Duncan. Are you an entrepreneur who feels trapped in the weeds of daily operations, not experiencing the freedom you thought you'd have as a business owner? Want to know the way out? Take Jason's free exit readiness assessment to see how close you are to getting ready to experience true freedom and success as an entrepreneur. Go to amireadytoexit.com today. That's amireadytoexit.com. See you again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.